0: Hi, this is Annika Fain with Northwest Fish Passage. This is episode three of my podcast. Today, I'm on a call with Anna Toledo from Island County Marine Resource Committee. Thank you, Anna, for being here today.
1: Thanks, Annika. I'm excited to be here.
0: So Anna and I met back in July 2015 at a Island County Marine Resource Committee meeting two months before I started Bain Environmental. And uh, Anna, can you start by telling us a bit about the Marine Resource Committee?
1: Yeah, Um, so I work with the Island County Marine Resources Committee, uh, where um, I really I get the privilege of working with volunteers who have been appointed by the Island County Commissioners uh, to provide an advisory role to the commissioners regarding local marine resources. We also carry out uh, monitoring projects, restoration and outreach projects as as well.
0: Great. So I want to step back and um, and hear a little bit about what motivated you to get involved with the MRC and habitat restoration.
1: Yeah. So I studied biology and have always uh, really had an interest in the natural world. I went to I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Ecuador where I worked in their habitat conservation program. When I moved back to the States, I moved to Washington, D.C., where I worked in um, recycling and waste management programs. And then six years ago, I moved out here to beautiful Whidbey Island. And you know, while I'd always had this interest in the natural world, uh, living on an island really, to me, brought out the importance of how our actions impact the place where we live. And just how closely interconnected everything is. So I've had the opportunity now uh, to work with Island County Department of Natural Resources for about five and a half years, where I work with an awesome team uh, that also really gets the interconnectedness of our work. Uh, you know, we have folks doing stuff from monitoring water quality, to improving salmon habitat, uh, to removing noxious weeds, uh, to bringing together partner organizations, uh, to complete these projects and so in my particular role I get to work with volunteers and shoreline homeowners to learn about, protect, and restore the local marine environment. You know one of the ways I do that is working with the Marine Resources Committee or the MRC uh, which as I mentioned is you know, a group of local citizens who, are, who care about uh, the local marine resources and use their expertise and knowledge and and different backgrounds to protect and restore the place that we live in. I also uh, get to work with our Shore Friendly program, which provides information and incentives to shoreline homeowners uh, regarding uh, ways to remove or prevent the installation of hard shoreline armoring, which include things like bulkheads, seawalls, those like large rock Uh, walls. So I get to work uh, with shoreline homeowners on understanding what impacts bulkheads have on our marine environment and what different uh, solutions there are that protect their property as well as protecting the environment right outside their back door.
0: Can you tell me more about the shore friendly mini grant program that you've been working on recently?
1: Yes, I am really excited uh, to share about this program that we're uh, getting ready to launch. Uh, It will allow shoreline homeowners to be able to apply for mini grants from amounts of $500 to $5,000, depending on the project, uh, to take actions on the shoreline to remove or prevent hard shoreline armoring. So this can include um, site visits with experts, design, permitting, or actual project implementation, depending on where along the process the homeowner is. Uh, And it can be used for activities, including actual armor removal, as well as activities that um, support the preservation of the natural ecosystem, including native vegetation planting, drainage improvements, soft shore protection, uh, and even house moving or raising. So uh, we're getting ready to launch this program. There will be more information uh, in the links below, and we're excited to be able to support the community in making decisions to uh, protect their properties as well as protect the shoreline environment.
0: So is this just for Island County or are the other counties also doing this, right?
1: There are several other counties that have shore friendly programs. In fact, all of the counties in Puget Sound have shore friendly uh, programs. You know, some are run through the actual county government, others are run through conservation districts um, or uh, nonprofits like the Northwest Streets Foundation. And so you can go to shorefriendly.org to find out who, uh, which jurisdiction in your area is Uh, is hosting the shore friendly program and there are, um, you know, several types of incentives like this mini grant program to allow shoreline homeowners to learn about their property and uh, to help them take actions to protect uh, the shoreline environment by their, uh, by their properties.
0: I'm excited to hear about that and to share this with the listeners. So last, on my last episode, I interviewed Kit Crump, and we talked about restoration on the Stillaguamish, so more focused on the river. So today, you're talking about mostly coastal. Uh, Can you tell me a bit about the importance of taking out these uh, bulkheads and why we want to do that?
1: Sure. Yeah, so for many years, um, bulkheads were put in uh, along shoreline properties to protect properties from erosion. It seemed like the natural, you know, solution to to preventing a property from erosion would be to put up this hard wall uh, between the water and and the land. Uh, What we've learned in more recent years is that bulkheads are one, not always the most effective means to prevent erosion, and two, that they can also be detrimental to the marine environment that, you know, brought us to live on the shoreline in the first place. And so, um, you know, removing these, um, these structures where they're not necessary can really uh, free up and restore habitat for really important species. One of those Uh, groups uh, we refer to as forage fish uh, and those um, there are two kinds of forage fish that spawn on our beaches um, in Puget Sound and that's Pacific sand lance and surf smelt and when we put these structures uh, like bulkheads up on the intertidal area where these forage fish are spawning Uh, It reduces their habitat, uh, and forage fish are really important within the marine food web. Uh, They serve as kind of this critical junction between plankton and larger species, such as salmon, seabirds, all the way up to orca. And so um, in my work with the Shore Friendly Program, I work with shoreline homeowners to to understand uh, their their property and their specific situation, and whether it's feasible to remove a bulkhead so that they can they can restore uh, their property to a more natural state. Uh, and there are also other uh, solutions as well, such as soft shore protection, which is a more natural means of protecting a property from erosion using more natural materials and a more natural um, kind of setup rather than a hard concrete vertical structure. Uh, so there are you know uh, creative solutions to still protecting your property while also protecting uh, you know, the marine environment as well.
0: That was a great explanation. Thanks. Yeah, I um, as you know, and I'm very passionate about shoreline restoration. and It's very exciting to hear all of the work that you're doing. And I'm wondering over the last five and a half years since you've been there, what are some of your favorite projects you've worked
1: on? Yeah, um, there have been a lot of really great projects. I would say one of uh, those projects is a restoration um, that actually took place before I joined um, Island County, but I've been able to continue working on the monitoring and uh, so sort the of maintenance of the restoration site, and that's at Cornet Bay, which mm-hmm. is uh, on northern, northern Whidbey Island in Deception Pass State Park, and it was a project which has involved a lot of partners. Um, you know, if that's one of the things that I've learned over this time, is how many partners are involved with these habitat restoration projects. So it included Island County uh, Marine Resources Committee, the Northwest Straits Foundation, Washington State Parks, Gadget Fisheries Enhancement Group, Soundwater Stewards, um, and community members as well. And so this uh, is a public beach, uh, as I said, in Deception Pass State Park, and it involved the removal of a uh, a long bulkhead, a 750-foot bulkhead, which included creosote-treated wood, which, again, we now understand is toxic to the environment. So it included removing that uh, bulkhead and then regrading the beach to a more natural slope and putting in native vegetation. The result of that was uh, both improved habitat as well as improved beach access. It really allowed people to get down to the beach where they wouldn't have been able to before. Uh, And one of the really neat things that we discovered through the monitoring work of the MRC was that uh, we found uh, forage fish eggs for the first time ever documented within the the restored area uh, five years after the restoration was complete. So this was a really neat story. You know, we had done uh, monitoring before for forage fish eggs before the restoration and had done monitoring after. Uh, and as you can see, you know, some some of these things take several years to. The, Uh, to document changes. That doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, the improvement hasn't hasn't happened, but it can sometimes take a while to really document how uh, these changes are improving habitat. And it's important to have monitoring programs and and citizen science programs. You know, we work closely with uh, the Soundwater Stewards, which is a group here in Island County that uh, provides you know, citizen science volunteers on on projects and so the MRC works closely with these folks so that we have eyes on the beach, hands on the beach, you know, boots in the mud uh, to really be able to add to the scientific knowledge for these restoration projects. Can I also share about another project uh, that I've uh, really enjoyed as well? Uh, it's been another uh, community, has uh, been another Uh, Habitat Restoration Project which was done in a community actually on uh, southern Whidbey Island and it was identified through the Shore Friendly program and we worked closely with the community and with the Northwest Straits Foundation which also partners uh, very closely uh, on Shore Friendly work and they work throughout the region uh, on, on the Shore Friendly program as well and we worked with this community to remove A bulkhead, a 350-foot bulkhead, which, um, you know, wasn't great for the environment and it wasn't great for the uh, community as well. So once we were able to remove the bulkhead, again, we saw this uh, ability for community members to be able to get down to the beach. We've had great volunteers within the community who have really helped maintain the vegetation there. So it's really neat to see how these projects can be um, you know, a win for the environment and a win for the community members as well.
0: Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. So what was the name of that
1: project? Uh, so that project is Sunlight Shores. Okay. And I can send a link to that, uh, to information That's about great. that project yeah. to include.
0: Yeah. I'd love to share with our listeners for sure. Great. In those projects, what do you think is one of the the biggest challenges?
1: You know, I think there's certainly a lot of challenges when you talk about the shoreline. And I think one of the really interesting and exciting parts of my work is figuring out how we balance different interests along the shoreline uh, to find creative solutions. And so uh, one of the things that the, MRC has worked on is holding uh, community forums uh, to about issues along the shoreline. We've held one about aging shoreline structures, including uh, bulkheads and tide gates. Uh, we've also held one about sea level rise, with the goal of you know bringing people together to discuss what issues they're seeing along their shoreline and start talking about what uh, what creative solutions there are. Obviously. We're not going to you know, solve uh, these very complicated and complex uh, issues in you know, a three hour forum. But uh, what, it, what we've been able to do is, is bring together community members to talk about what some of the issues are including you know, seeing increased storms and, and sea level rise and, and how does that play with uh, you know, these hard structures that we have along the shoreline. You know, are there ways that we can uh, you know, think creatively about you know, moving a house, or about utilizing, you know, more natural berms and natural vegetation to, um, you know, to allow the habitat to to shift and move more naturally than than we would with, you know, a, a concrete wall. So that's, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of complexities when we talk about the shoreline. And I think um, one of the best things we can be doing is, is acknowledging those complexities and working together uh, you know, to understand as a community, um, even more so than just individual property owners, working as a community uh, to understand how can we be addressing these collectively.
0: So since um, COVID has changed a lot of things, have you guys talked about going forward how to do these forums?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, Yes, we have been uh, talking about how to move forward with our work, including our outreach work uh, given COVID-19 and the changes that, that we're seeing in how we're able to meet. Uh, and yes, the MRC we would love to continue to offer educational opportunities. Uh, I actually think maybe one of the uh, benefits uh, that's that's coming out of, of the COVID-19 response is um, adap- adapting our um, our outreach methods. And so, you know, as an MRC, we are looking into how can we continue to have these forums in an online fashion. Uh, actually, some of the other marine resources committees in the area, there are, there are seven within Northern Puget Sound. Some of the others have, have, have been able to hold, uh, you know, online presentations that are available online about various topics. And so I, I do think there are ways to be creative, and uh, if anything, we can use this as an opportunity to reach a greater number of people that might not have otherwise been able to attend an in-person forum or educational event.
0: Yeah, I see that another thing, if, uh, if I wanted to give a little presentation or something, it would be easier um, to do uh, rather than going all the way out to would-be. So.
1: Yes. Absolutely. This also gives us access to, I think, a greater range of subject matter experts who, again, might not have been able to drive all the way to Whidbey or Camino, uh, but are able to hop on a Zoom call uh, and, you know, give their presentation virtually. I do think there are some, um, yeah, some upsides to it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Can you tell me how you've been doing the bulk kelp monitoring?
1: Yeah, Uh, one of the projects that I get to help out with through uh, the Marine Resources Committee is a monitoring project of bull kelp. We have some awesome volunteers who monitor a few bull kelp beds around Island County Uh, and bull kelp is really a fascinating species. Uh, I remember as a child, I grew up on the east coast, uh, but my family, uh, we took a trip across the country and I remember, you know, as a kid walking on these beaches in the Pacific Northwest and seeing what looked to me like, you know, long, smooth pieces of rope with a ball at the end and picking it up and waving it around. And, you know, I didn't understand what it was at the time, but have since come to learn that this was bull kelp. Uh, And kelp plays a huge role in our ecosystem. It serves uh, as shelter for many species, including rockfish and herring and salmon. It uh, is also used as a food source by many species, including us, humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's used in pharmaceuticals and wound care. It, can, um, it has benefits within the environment to slow down wave action and helps with carbon sequestration. So it's really this rock star species. Um, but we have concerns uh, about loss of bull kelp in Puget Sound. There has been documented loss in South Puget Sound. And so in Island County, as well as other uh, counties uh, with MRC volunteers, uh, we've been documenting and monitoring uh, bull kelp beds. Uh, And so one of, uh, actually one of the neat things that the volunteer who leads our Island MRC program, Linda Rhodes, one of the things she does is she takes an underwater camera with her and captures some of the examples of life in these beds. She recently captured footage of Pacific sand lance uh, in a kelp bed and, you know, as I was mentioning before, sand lance is a is a kind of forage fish uh, mm-hmm. which is really important within the marine food web uh, from, you know, plankton all the way up to orca and so these bull kelp beds are helping provide that shelter and habitat for these sand lance. Um, So this video is up on the MRC website. That link will be, uh, I believe, in the description. Um, And there are lots of other videos as well. We've got uh, herring, rockfish, salmon, uh, other species. I'd really encourage you to check it out. It's neat to be able to see uh, what's just under the surface, Mm -hmm. you know, for someone who, um, you know, doesn't I don't have a, a scuba license, so I don't get to, like, actually see a lot of what's under underneath the water right around me. And so it's really neat to be able to just catch a glimpse of what's right underneath.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to share that with everyone. I, awesome. Yeah, I actually scuba dive, but I prefer to do it in warm water. What are you most hopeful about in
1: upcoming years? So I think um, I think one of the things that we're seeing uh, come out of all this uh, COVID, all these COVID adaptations, is um, new adaptations to our work and our collaboration. And I am hopeful to see how those continue into the future. I think uh, we'll be able to encourage more teleworking, which you know is. Um, has benefit for our environment without so many cars on the roads. And I think there will also be more creative ways for collaborating, you know, Mm -hmm. with ability to, uh, you know, meet with experts who, you know, live across the country or across the world. Um, It's also suddenly opened up all these trainings and outreach opportunities that can really reach a greater range of audiences. So I'm, hopeful to see how that continues uh, into the future even as, um, you know, even as we start to you know presumably in the future get back to more in-person meetings. I am encouraged to see how, how we'll be able to continue with the greater collaboration um, and, and greater ways to uh, provide educational opportunities to audiences that, um, that might not be able to attend in-person meetings. I'm also greatly encouraged by all the energy and passion that I see in our youth and um, in the ways that they're uh, eager to learn about their environment and how to care for it and are thinking creatively about actions that they can take to protect the world they're growing up in.
0: Thank you. So that brings me to one of my other questions. What advice would you give to young professionals? People want to get a job like yours.
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, real world experience is uh, a great way to understand, you know, what is involved in these sorts of jobs. certainly look for internship opportunities, Um, you know, it's a, Good way to really start understanding what a job entails and what opportunities there are and encourage you to meet with people in different jobs about you know and learn about what they do. Most professionals are happy and eager to talk with uh, people who are starting off their careers um, so don't be afraid to ask for a few minutes of someone's time so that you can understand what their job is and what opportunities there may be. They often are able to provide connections and other resources. So really tap into that. And again, you know, there may be even more opportunities to tap into, um, you know, professionals in their, you know, well established in their careers uh, now with the increase in telecommunications and and teleworking. I also think in general, um, you know, this is maybe going going back uh, a few years in the um the chain of towards young professionals but i i think we need to start changing this age-old question that we ask kids of what do you want to be when you grow up Um, i think we should really be asking you know what do you want to do what do you want to impact what changes do you want to make in the world when you grow up or as you grow up Um, i think it's fairly easy for a kid to understand the general premise of the job of a doctor or a teacher, which are of course very important professions, but may not appeal to all students. It's harder to understand the job title of a watershed planner or an outreach manager or an environmental specialist. So it's harder for uh, students to really envision what that means. So I think when we can encourage students to focus on what changes they want to make rather than focusing on a specific job title. I think this opens up the world um, for students to, you know, ask the question, how can I make this impact in my community? But I think really asking students, you know, what, what is the change that you want to make? What is the impact that you want to make? Um, And considering who are some leaders in that profession that are making those changes? We are working on getting more involved with our students. I think it's such an important age range and group to be reaching. We have, in recent years, been getting more involved with the school system. We, uh, from uh, really starting from elementary um, all the way up to high school as well, uh, we worked with uh, one of the, our technical advisors on our committee, Florian Granner, who is a local underwater videographer, He does fantastic work, and he developed uh, a film for us uh, called Discover Our Island Shores. And it is an amazing film that we have offered to local schools uh, to, to be able to share with their students. And it takes, um, it takes students on this underwater adventure, following a harbor seal down into the um, depths around, uh, Island County to show like what the different, um, what the different habitats are, what the different species are. And it's really neat because it includes a lot of local footage. Uh, so it really connects with students that this is what is outside your, you know, backyards, you know, at the beach, uh, so we, we've been able to share that with students and it's neat to see them get uh, excited. We've also held uh, film screenings of this as well because while, it is, while the film is uh, geared towards you know, elementary to middle school students, it is engaging for all, um, for all age levels. And it's, it's really neat to see students get excited. Uh, we've also held um, an art contest. We've done a couple art contests, and to see the creativity and joy that students bring is really um, heartwarming and, uh, you know, gives me, gives me hope that this is something that, you know, kids really care about and, and they're connecting with.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to share about your career or thoughts about habitat restoration?
1: Yeah, um, I would say that um, one of the, one of my other joys, <laughs> in addition to, you know, seeing the way that, uh, that kids engage um, on uh, environmental issues, one of my other joys is seeing how community members and elected officials who may have at first been uncertain of how a habitat restoration project would impact their current use of a beach, to see them come back to that beach after a restoration project and see how the project has not only improved habitat for marine species but also you know, improved the natural aesthetics and their ability to reach and to recreate on the beach. and to really see them you know, become advocates of, of this kind of work. I think there are a lot of these great win-win projects. And again, for habitat does not have to mean a loss for human use. In fact, it can often mean an improvement. And I think where we can look for those opportunities for improving you know, habitat and human use uh, is really where we're gonna find um, a nice uh, you know, collaboration opportunity. I would also encourage your listeners that if any of these topics interested you today uh, to check out your local Marine Resources Committee, or MRC. There are seven in the seven counties of northern Puget Sound, um, Island, Jefferson, Snohomish, Skagit, Clallam, San Juan, and Whatcom. You can find information about MRCs through the Northwest Straits Commission website, which provides support for MRCs and that link will be included in the, project, uh, in the podcast description. Um, there are also four coastal MRCs, which are organized under Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. And even if you uh, don't happen to live in one of those counties, these groups uh, have great connections and resources that could be relevant to you, whether you're looking to learn something, connect with subject matter experts, or do some volunteer work. And I think one of the great things Uh, is that MRCs are making more resources available online.
0: Mm -hmm. I think
1: most of our groups are meeting remotely, most if not all of our groups are meeting remotely and our meetings are open to the public. So you're always welcome to hop onto our virtual meetings, learn something new, connect with somebody. Uh, So I definitely encourage you to check out uh, the Marine Resources Committees for more information.
0: Great, thank you so much, Anna. Thanks. I would like to end by expressing my deepest respect and gratitude to the many indigenous peoples and tribal nations in the Salish Sea region for their enduring care and protection of our shared lands and waterways. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please write a review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you access the podcast. I've included links to webpages with more information. Have a great day.